Well, you might remember last time that we gathered for these Acts readings, David and Alison read from chapter 15 through to part of chapter 18. We're going to pick up the last part of chapter 18 today. And uh, we learnt that Paul went through Turkey and Greece, didn't we? He was preaching, he was strengthening the believers, and he was starting churches, especially in Philippi and in Athens and Corinth. That was a big focus for him. And this is called his second missionary journey. And today we're going to be reading about Paul's third missionary journey. It was very much his heart to meet and encourage new believers. We did learn a few things uh, from David and Alison and we were reminded that we need to be open to the Holy Spirit, just like Paul did. Remember that Paul couldn't enter Bithynia because of the Spirit's prompting? Just like Paul, we all need to be in tune with God. Do you remember when David said that? And we need to have God's word as our basis for truth. God's word, like the Bereans. Also that in him, in him, we live and move and have our being. It's in him. All we have and all that happens in our lives is from him and he will help us with it all. So this week we're looking at Paul's third missionary journey. If you have your Bibles, I trust you have, I want you to open them please. We've got a map on the screen for context coming up and this tells us all the places that Paul went and so let's start reading this week from verse 23 of Acts chapter 18. Just before we do that, I just want to warn you that my alarm is going to go off at 10.59. It's a very special day today. Do you know why my alarm would go off at 10.59? Somebody? Anyone? Anzac Day, that's right. We're going to stop and have one minute silence in honour of those brave people, men and women, who have served courageously for our country. And we want to remember them and we want to honour them. One minute. Better get my phone out so I can turn the alarm off, hey? Good plan? Uh -huh. okay. Two and two. Chapter 18, verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Wow. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he was using his gift, he was using his experience. I wonder, 
are we instructing the people of our generation? What about the next generation? How will they know about Jesus? Okay. So, it says, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervour and taught, taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You know, that's a good reminder to us to have our home ready, just like Priscilla and Aquila, for people to come, to come in at any time. Home is a good place. We can relax at home, can't we? It's a more friendly environment, especially for people who are seeking the truth about God. And often we're not limited by schedules when we're at home, are we? Verse 27. Please turn me off again. Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Proved from the scriptures. I wonder, can you do that? Can I do that? It takes learning, doesn't it? It takes receiving from God. Mm. It takes hearing so that we can then speak. Wow, that's a big responsibility. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Okay, chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at, at Ephesus. Sorry. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? Mm. John's baptism. They replied. <laughs> so we read here about John's baptism. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, wasn't it? You can find it's, that in Matthew 3 and Mark chapter 1. It says that they confessed their sins and were baptised. And we notice here too that they repented out in public. In our culture, often admitting our wrong and admitting our guilt and confessing is a private thing. But here it was indeed a very public thing. Do you remember also last time we looked at chapter 17, verse 30? where it says, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. And didn't we just hear that in the chaos time? When we were all together just a few minutes ago, God calls all people everywhere to repent. Repentance, turning around from our old way of living and turning back to God and living his way. So what did repentance look like? What did Jesus, oh sorry, what did John the Baptist teach in practical everyday terms? Well, we noted five things that John the Baptist preached. These are practical things, and maybe you can apply these practical things to your situation. The first thing was John 
exhorted people, he encouraged people where they have two tunics and they come across someone who has none, give that tunic to the poor. Share food with the destitute. What about the tax collector? They were instructed, don't take more than required. And the soldier, stop extortion and false accusations. And John said, be content with your pay. The biggest focus was clearly caring for others as much as self. And this, even this teaching, I think, went against the culture of the time. God's sounds commandment. A lot, sounds a lot like love your neighbour as yourself. Got to exactly. repent towards that. That's right. And it's the same for us today. God expects his people to love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength and with all their mind. And the second greatest commandment, you know, is just like it. Love your neighbour as yourself, especially the poor. But do you know, John the Baptist also said in verse 16 of Luke 3, the one coming after me will baptise you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So notice that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit... Oh, we better read. So what, what are we verse 4, chapter 19, verse 4. Paul said, John's, sorry, Paul said... John. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were, about, there were about 12 men in Paul. Okay. So I notice that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in this little passage, it did happen, and we saw this in previous chapters also, at different times in somebody's experience for different people groups. For some, it came after being baptised, some before some only after the laying on of hands. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Um, what is the way, Andy? The way. The way is a nickname for the way of life that Jesus preached. It's the gospel. Okay. So let's keep reading. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Wow. They had daily <coughs> discussions for two years. Daily discussions for two years. Do you know, if you really want to grow, it takes time and it takes effort. Seems part of the reason for astronomical growth of the church, like what we read about in Acts, even during this period, 
is definitely the effort put into teaching, into learning, into fellowship. It became a hallmark. It became their priority, didn't it? Mm. Verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. High honour. That's what we want to see, the name of Jesus in high honour. What happens when his name is highly honoured among believers? Let's now look together at verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Openly confessed. Not just privately with God, but for everyone to hear. It seems that they had believed in Jesus a little while ago already, but now God is bringing them along further and deeper. Mm. And it reminds me of what we heard the other week. I think Alison read it, but we couldn't work out um, when. <laughs> Was it the C.S. Lewis story about Somebody the house? Somebody read it. doesn't Some, matter. We're going to read it. Somebody read it. I'm going to read it again. It's not a perfect analogy, but let me remind you. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. You're glad that finally something is changing. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. That means it's really unpleasant. You might even think it's unjust, unfair. And it doesn't make sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house to the one that you thought of. I heard a joke once, and the joke goes, how do you make God laugh? The answer is, you tell him your plans. You tell him your plans. But God's got a far greater plan, of course. So, coming back to this analogy, we're seeing here that God might be throwing off a new wing in your house 
putting on an extra floor here or running up towers, making courtyards, doing all sorts of stuff that you never expected. You thought you were being made into a beautiful, renovated, decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. Why? He intends to come and live in it himself. Not a perfect analogy, of course, but it's good to know that God is in control of everything that's going on, even in your circumstances. As you start to honour God in your life, he will help you to repent of more and more sin. He'll clean and change you more and more. Verse 19. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Wow, that's a lot of drachmas. How much is a drachma worth? One drachma was, in those days, worth about a day's wages. So, 50,000 drachmas is approximately 137 years wages of one person. This is what they did. They didn't just sell their stuff, right? They got rid of it. It was worthless to them. And it was worthless to others as well. That's why they got rid of probably it. Probably more than worthless. I think it was dangerous. They knew it was evil. Mm. And they didn't want others to get hold of it. Do you know, I've got an example of that in my own life. Shortly after I became a Christian, I got up early one Saturday morning and uh, walked outside with my CD collection. Now some of you, some of you young people don't even know what a CD is. A compact disc used to have music recorded on it. And I had quite a big collection that I'd bought and some of these CDs were worth, they were quite, worth quite less than 137 years wages, I can assure you. But they were still about $30 a pop for a CD back then. And I was found on a Saturday morning putting my CDs on the path outside and smashing them with a hammer. And my mum came downstairs. I must have woken her up from her sleep in. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting rid of these discs. They're, they're absolute rubbish. She said, no, no, no. Why don't you give them to Michael? Michael was my brother and still is. And I said, they're worthless. They're rubbish. They've got to go. I don't want anyone to have them. She promptly turned around and went back up to bed, I'm sure. There was another collection, ones that I didn't destroy, which have since gone as well. So isn't that interesting that God will work on you over a period of time? There were ones that I could identify immediately that were evil and others that I thought these also need to go. Okay. God is gracious. Verse 20. Me off again. Verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Wow. When you start seriously getting rid of evil from your life, people start to take notice. Your testimony now has more and more power. Verse 21. 
after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, their goddess, brought in no little business, that means a lot of business, for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in, per, and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized, seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's travelling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theatre. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not to do anything rash. You have brought these men here Though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess, if then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, there are courts open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Okay. It's very interesting that 
the Roman government at the time was known to be had a reputation for being quite harsh. They were very strict on riots. It's also interesting to realise in this example that God used the fear of the people in this instance and the fear of the government to rescue Gaius and Aristarchus from this angry mob. Mm. Chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> when the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and, after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He travelled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week of feasting and celebrating God and it was directly after the Passover. Remember the Passover was one meal? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread went for a whole week. It was about Easter time. Yeah, you should Google it. Andrew Googled it. He found it very fascinating. So, yeah, Google that. Oh, there we go. Do you know the time is 10.59? And you know what that means? We're going to stop for a minute, literally, and remember today being Anzac Day, the fallen, those that have also served and so I would like us all just to bow our heads for one minute, pray to God, think about their sacrifice, lest we forget. Chapter 20, verse 6. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. 
On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Did you know that in the Jewish calendar, every day starts at twilight, <laughs> as soon as the st sun starts to go down? <clears throat> so, in fact, these people were meeting on Saturday night. Uh, so let's keep moving. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named, young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and he was picked up, dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Wow, what an amazing story. We don't really know what the circumstances of that night were, do we? We don't know what was the cause of Eutychus falling asleep. Had he had a busy day working? Was it hot? We know it was very late. It was already midnight. But for one reason or another, Eutychus somehow had let his attention wander, hadn't he? And he certainly paid a high price for not paying attention. In this case, there was a good outcome, wasn't there? But it just highlights the fact that we need to be so careful as well. We might not get hurt in the same way that Eutychus was, but we'll certainly miss out on a blessing from God if we don't pay attention to his word. And it's being taught in churches and we need to be listening, don't we? But notice Paul also didn't judge Eutychus or criticise him after this happened. He graciously brought him back to life. It was so late, wasn't it? Wow. He was understanding and everyone could see the presence of God's mighty power. And yes, he was dead. Some people might guess that he wasn't dead. Maybe he was just injured. But no, Luke, the writer, was a doctor and he records that he was dead. Paul then ate with them and continued to teach till daylight. So they didn't look at their watches at midnight and say, well, you know what, we've just witnessed a miracle, it's probably time to head off home now. No, they were so excited and so interested and realised that Paul wouldn't be back, that they kept listening to Paul speak, even till daylight. How about that? Paul's words and his works were noticeable, weren't they? His words matched his works. Okay, that reminds me of believers in India. I remember when Charlie Wick used to stay with us, he used to go over there and he told us that it, when a visiting speaker came to them, 
They would be really disappointed if the speaker spoke for less than two hours. <laughs> they really wanted to hear and they still want to hear and they don't want to waste any opportunities that they have. Yeah. How would you feel if you were asked to attend an all-night meeting today? How would you feel? How would you react? Would you be excited or would you make an excuse? Some don't like it if the service goes 10 minutes late. Yes, let alone two hours or six hours. <laughs> so if you want to see the power of God and the power of the book of Acts today, we hope you do, perhaps we need to prioritise our learning. We need to prioritise teaching and prayer and worship. That will involve sacrificing yeah. everything else. Mm. It's a cost, at a cost. Do you know there's something coming up? There's an opportunity coming up for you next Saturday here at 10 o'clock. And every Saturday, the first of the month, we plan to be here for worship, for prayer and praise. You're invited to that and you're welcome to be here at 10 o'clock. Now you might say, hang on, hang on, Andrew. Something important's on next Saturday. An election, a state election is on next Saturday, right? How long is it going to take for you to vote though? Not all day, is it? So you can do both if you choose. Chapter 20, verse 13. If I can find it. There we go. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Then he met us at Assos. Oh, sorry, when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem if possible by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great fervour, humility and tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. That's the same for us, isn't it? And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus 
has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Finish the race and complete the task. You know, the end is hard but necessary. And do you know that the reward is out of this world? If you have a pen, write down Genesis chapter 15 verse 1 for the reason that I may have underlined the R as a capital in the word reward. Why would the word reward be a capital? The answer is in Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. Okay, we're up to verse 25. Now I know that none of you whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. The whole will of God. It's really important not to miss out any parts. Otherwise, what you're teaching is actually a false cult <clears throat> and it's worthless, maybe even dangerous. We need to preach not just God's love but his judgment of sin. We need to teach that not just to say a prayer but to expect transformation. And we highly recommend that you watch a YouTube documentary called American Gospel, Christ Alone. We don't have time to go into any details, but go home and watch it. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Mm. It's the so same be, today. Be on your guard. You need to keep watch. Jesus said it lots. Keep watch. Remember that for three years I never stopped, each of you, I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. Okay, we're up to verse 32 now. Now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice those words says, by this kind of hard work, it's not easy to help people. And it's not supposed to be a matter of just, okay, I've got free time this week. I'm feeling relaxed. I can go and help someone. It's not supposed to be like that. 
we need to expect it to be hard work to make it happen, whether that's physical help with, for people or whether that's spiritual help. Paul didn't avoid hard work and neither should we. Yeah. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. <coughs> Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Who were the seven? The seven was a nickname for the seven men appointed to help the poor and the elderly. Deacons. Yep, okay. So verse 9, this Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. That's the end of today's passage. Paul went away. Why did he go away? Well, we already know. He knew that God wanted him to go, even though what was before him. He knew God's will was best for him, was best for God's kingdom, and it was also best for others. There was no point 
that he could see trying to hang on to his own life. God was in control and Paul had that peace. Remember in Matthew chapter 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Paul had nothing to lose by losing even his own life, but everything to gain. Also, the Holy Spirit wasn't directing Paul not to go, only warning him what lay ahead. Sometimes we can get confused about that. Paul was not disobedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting, as it may have appeared. We must remember that God's will is best. Trying to stop it will only bring even more heartache. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes we get attached to a particular person thinking that only they can do the job that they do or give the help that they give. And these people probably thought that about Paul. Paul's the only one who can do that for us. Or we think that we are the only one who can do the job that we've been given. We think that we are indispensable. But none of us are indispensable and none of us can be everywhere at once. And none of us will be around forever, at least here on earth. A believer's life of service is limited, but God is not limited. Paul was limited as to how much time he had with each group of believers. He couldn't be everywhere at once. We read in these passages, in some places he was there for one day. For some places he was there with them for one week and in other places he was there for two years but Paul knew his life would soon be over certainly his itinerant teaching days were over but God had it all in hand he knew Paul wouldn't be around forever he also knows we won't be around forever he's got it so he asks us what to make the most of our time. Do you make the most of every moment in your life? We don't know if we've got one day, one week, two months or two years, do we? Do you waste time doing things that are actually worthless to God? How much time do you spend doing things to satisfy yourself? How much time do you spend watching the TV or other online content in a week? How much time do you waste sleeping in without good reason? And how much time do you dedicate to studying God's word and praying? How much time do you give to sharing God's word with others they might be unbelievers or they might be brothers. How much time do you put into being ready to give them answers from what you know? Are you ready? How much effort do you put in having your home ready for someone 
who may need your help. So how is God asking you to change your life, to make the most of your opportunities? Because our life is limited, yet God is not limited. He can make our life so abundant and full if we submit to him that we'll hardly believe it's possible. Remember the house? He's making a palace. Thank you.